in the NFL's eyes, six games was not enough. It was not near enough. Mm. The NFL is seeking an indefinite suspension. It was not happy about six games. In fact, I was told it was very, very disturbed about the judge's decision. And now the NFL will seek to impose once again its own form of justice. When former federal judge Sue L. Robinson handed Deshaun Watson a six-game suspension last week, the reaction from many was clear. It wasn't enough. Robinson's ruling acknowledged Watson's egregious behavior, which had been chronicled in dozens of accounts of sexual misconduct, but said she was bound by precedent of punishment in previous NFL cases. Now, the league is appealing Watson's suspension, hoping for a stronger punishment while setting a new precedent for how the National Football League handles cases like this going forward. So today, ESPN's Cleveland Browns reporter Jake Trotter tells us what the NFL's appeal means for Watson's future, whether he might take the league to court, and what it all says about how the NFL administers discipline going forward. I'm Emily Kaplan, in for Pablo Torre. It's Monday, August 8th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Jake Trotter, you are our Cleveland Browns beat reporter. It's been one week now since the Deshaun Watson ruling came down. Judge Sue L. Robinson handed down a six-game suspension to Watson, and the NFL issued their appeal on Wednesday. So first of all, what does this mean? What is the NFL asking for that's different? Yeah, it's been a very long week in Cleveland. As you mentioned, Robinson came down with the six-game suspension in her report on Monday. Two days later on Wednesday, the NFL appealed that. And that's well within its right within the collective bargaining agreement with the NFLPA. The NFLPA has the right to the appeal. The NFL has the right to appeal as well. The only difference is the NFL can appeal to Commissioner Roger Goodell, who then can hear the appeal himself or appoint a designee. In this case, he's appointed a designee. Essentially what the NFL felt is that Sue Robinson's decision, while they agreed with her findings and that Deshaun Watson violated the personal conduct policy, the NFL has been pushing for a much tougher penalty than the six-game suspension. The NFL has been asking for a season-long suspension, and that's what it will be hoping to get during this appeal. Jake, what do we know about the NFL's dispute with Robinson's reasoning and her ruling? So we have not read the NFL's appeal. We don't know uh, what those documents include. Um, We can guess, we can make an educated guess that the NFL uh, wants to essentially set a new precedent on these types of infractions or allegations 
with regard to the personal conduct policy. So Sue Robinson in her report basically sided with the NFL on all three counts uh, in terms of personal conduct policy violations. Sexual assault, as the NFL defines it, endangering another person, as the NFL defined it, defines it, and then undermining the credibility of the league. But Sue Robinson, because she found that sexual assault in this particular situation was not violent, in her opinion, it lowered the threshold of what she felt like she was able to adjudicate. So in other words, had she found that the sexual assault had been violent, the baseline would have been a six-game suspension. Presumably, Robinson's penalty would have been much tougher than six games. But because it was nonviolent sexual assault, in her opinion, the threshold went all the way down to three games. That is the largest suspension in NFL history with regard to a personal conduct policy violation for nonviolent sexual assault. So she doubled it. This was the biggest penalty that had ever been handed out for this type of violation. So six games might not seem like a lot, but according to past precedent, it actually is. The NFL, it really feels like, is wanting to set a new precedent for this type of stuff going forward. And that's, I think, going to be the case that they're going to try to make that, yeah, okay, so in the past, we've had these suspensions, but we feel like going forward, it really needs to be this. So as you said, the NFL gets to decide who is going to hear this appeal. So who is it? Yeah, so very different than Sue Robinson. Sue Robinson, the disciplinary officer, was jointly appointed. That means the players had a say, the NFL had a say. In this particular case, the NFLPA has no say. It's all Roger Goodell, and he has appointed Peter C. Harvey, former New Jersey uh, attorney general, has worked with the NFL on a lot of different cases and situations in the past. He's part of the NFL Diversity Advisory Committee. Uh, he was part of the NFL's committee when it was looking into Ezekiel Elliott back in 2017 for a personal uh, conduct policy violation. So this is an NFL guy. This is not an NFLPA guy. And the NFL has a lot of leverage going forward because, again, as it's written in the CBA, uh, the NFL appeals to the NFL who appoints a designee of its choosing. And in this particular case, it is Peter C. Harvey, who has a lot of experience working with the NFL in the past. And Jake, the breadth of these allegations are pretty significant. As Harvey comes down with his ruling, what information or evidence is he allowed to use? So everything from the hearing, all the evidence, all the arguments that were made. And in this particular case, the NFL, now we there have been 24 civil lawsuits, 25, uh, a 25th one was thrown out. Uh, there were five additional women, 30, that settled with the Houston Texans, claiming that uh, they had enabled Deshaun Watson's behavior. There have been two women that filed criminal complaints who did not sue Watson in civil court. And then there have been other allegations that have been made in the media as well from women who didn't sue or didn't file criminal complaints. But the NFL limited the scope of their argument to four women. And so the evidence that Peter Harvey is going to look at is going to be limited to the evidence and the arguments that were made based on the cases of those four women. And he cannot look outside the scope of anything that was not presented during that three-day hearing in Delaware back in June. Jake, is it possible that Harvey will find the allegations do constitute violent sexual assault? That's the big question. Uh, we, we don't know. And we don't know how the NFL has responded to Robinson's findings. But I do think that they can make an interesting case 
in that how is sexual assault not violent, but yet you determine that this particular situation puts somebody else's uh, safety in danger, right? Which is what Robinson found in her report. So I think the NFL will try to focus on that dichotomy potentially. But again, we don't know exactly what argument the NFL has made to Peter Harvey in the appeal that it filed last Wednesday. Sounds like one of the big issues here is the definition of sexual assault, no? Yes, because the, so when the NFL made its arguments before Robinson, Robinson asked, well, what is your definition of sexual assault? And the NFL basically had to state its definition on the spot, which is not explicitly laid out in the CBA and therefore might not be clear to players what it is, what, what, what kind of behavior is not permissible under the uh, personal conduct policy. So yeah, that will be something the NFLPA could definitely delve into as well, that you're moving the goalposts. Like you're not being consistent on what you define as sexual assault, because again, after uh, these allegations have been made and we're in a hearing before Sue Robinson, now you're making uh, uh, your case about what sexual assault should be. That's definitely something the NFLPA could look into as well. And Jake, at the core of this is the accusers. Have we heard anything from them in the last week? We actually have. So Tony Busby, the attorney for the plaintiffs down in Houston, Texas, actually held a press conference, scheduled a press conference before we knew whether the NFL was going to appeal or not, and ended up having that press conference uh, on Thursday in the law offices there in Houston. And we actually heard from some of the women for the first time in a while uh, notably Ashley Solis, who has been very, you know, forward-facing. And throughout this process, she was the first uh, woman to file a civil lawsuit against Deshaun Watson. She appeared on uh, HBO uh, a few months ago, which I, I think opened the eyes of a lot of people about what was going on here. Um, you know, it was a very powerful interview. And she said on Thursday that, you know, what the actions of the NFL uh, state to little girls who have suffered at the hands of someone they perceive that power, uh, that it's not a big deal. They don't care. Um, that's what she said that she's taken from their action so far. But, you know, to be fair, even though, uh, you know, so far this process has only rendered a six-game suspension of Deshaun Watson, the NFL is really trying to in implement a much tougher penalty. They want a suspension of at least a year. They want a financial penalty, which to this point, Deshaun Watson would be able to mostly circumvent because the way his contract is structured uh, in terms of base salary, the NFL can only penalize out of uh, base salary when it comes to suspension. Right now, that's $345,000 total for missing six games, not per game, uh, total out of a $230 million fully guaranteed contract. So um, you know, the NFL wants to circumvent that by uh, fining him directly and you know, they want him to get treatment, to get counseling, and to confront uh, some of what he's been accused of doing. So uh, it, it's very understandable for a lot of the women to feel this way about how the NFL has treated these cases in the past. But again, I do think the NFL, if you read between the lines, is trying to set a new precedent and send a very strong message that it's not going to tolerate this kind of behavior from its players. Hmm. I just want to go and scroll back and look at the context here because. 
This is the first case under the NFL's new personal conduct policy, which was collectively bargained with the union in 2020. And it seems like they're already getting all of these complications. The NFL is already asking for a do-over. So I have to ask, how would you say this is all playing out from the NFL's perspective? Well, it's very different. It seems like it's the same because ultimately it ends up in the NFL's corner, right? With these personal conduct policy violations. But it is different than cases of the past. So in the past, uh, you had something happen, uh, the NFL would take a look at it, and then Roger Goodell would decide if a particular player should be punished for whatever violation. Now, in this new CBA that was agreed to back in 2020, with this disciplinary officer, the NFL has to prove its case first to a jointly appointed official, Sue Robinson in this case. It can't administer punishment unless it proves its case first. And so that's how this particular situation was different from these personal conduct policy investigations of the past. So the NFL was able to prove its case in all three counts. And so the NFL has to feel very good about the options that it has right now and the case that it can make before not a jointly appointed disciplinary officer, but its own designee. So the NFL did what it needed to do to advance this case going forward, because if Sue Robinson had found that Watson had not violated the personal conduct policy, this would have been over. That would have been it. The NFL would not have been allowed to appeal, and Deshaun Watson would have been on the field for week one for the Browns. But this is collectively bargained, so the NFLPA agreed to this new process, too. How would you say it's all going out from their perspective? Well, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people this week who maybe weren't that familiar with this part of the CBA, who are wondering why the NFLPA would agree to this particular appeals process. Because through Sue Robinson's finding, you know, both sides were operating on equal ground to a degree. You know, the NFLPA was able to make its case before a disciplinary officer that it had its say in appointing. Uh, the NFL likewise, was able to make its case before a disciplinary officer that it had a say in, in, in appointing. But that's where the NFLPA loses a lot of its power in this process. And for whatever reason, the Players Association agreed to this process where basically, if there's any violation found, the NFL can really take over. They, they, they have the right to appeal, and then they get to choose who hears the appeal. You know, you wonder, next time a CBA is... Uh, negotiated that this will be a point of contention. But for the time being, this is the way this process is going to go. And it gives the NFL a lot of leverage once a personal uh, conduct policy violation is found. So how has the NFLPA responded to all of this? Uh, we haven't heard much from the NFLPA. The only thing we've heard from the NFLPA was on Friday, they sent out in a short statement that they had responded to the NFL's appeal uh, either party has two days to respond to an appeal that's filed. So they've got their documentation, their arguments in, in a brief to Peter Harvey. Uh, but we have not heard anything beyond from the NFLPA. You wonder if they are getting ready to make their case in the court of public opinion after Harvey rules or makes a, a binding decision. Because again, once he makes this decision, it is the end of the process, at least as far as the CBA is concerned. Now, we'll get into what the NFLPA might do uh, 
uh, outside the scope of the NFL's jurisdiction. But right now, the NFLPA has been curiously pretty silent this week. And I don't think that that is necessarily going to be the case for much longer, especially after Peter Harvey makes his call. So as we stand here with all the information we have today, we know this about labor unions and sports organizations. They're often at war. They're at battle. What would you say all of this means for the relationship right now between the PA and the NFL? Yeah, it's interesting because one of the, I think, most compelling arguments that the NFL PA made in its hearing with Judge Robinson was, you know, you are trying to hold a player to a standard that you do not hold your own owners to. and it was less so about like what Watson did or didn't do or how she, how we should deal with that as a league, but it was the inconsistency. And this is going to be a problem for the NFL going forward. Anytime there is a personal conduct policy case. Now it was interesting that a couple of days after Robinson's decision came out, what did we hear? We heard the NFL announce it was suspending Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins for, an interesting number as well, six games uh, for tampering with Tom Brady. So if this does go to federal court and in future personal conduct policy cases going forward, the NFL will at least be able to point to that. Hey, we did suspend an owner. But I think broadly speaking, it's tough for the NFL to say we have held our owners to the same standard that we are trying to hold our players to when we're trying to implement a unprecedented suspension for this type of behavior of at least a season. Okay, Jake, after the break, I want to ask you about how much messier this could all get and what it all means for the Cleveland Browns. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist 
who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Jake, we're talking on Sunday afternoon. Where do things go from here? What's the timeline that we're looking at? So, we don't have a specific timetable for Peter Harvey's decision. The only reference to a timetable in the CBA, in the policy, is that the decision has to be conducted in an expedited manner. So, could that be one day? Could that be one week, two weeks? We don't know for sure, but I can tell you the expectation, at least, in Cleveland from people I've talked to is that we'll know something by the end of the week, most likely. Not a sure thing, but I think that's what people are expecting. We're expecting to hear from Peter Harvey before uh, the end of the week. So once we get that decision, then that's it for the CBA. That's it for the NFL. That's a final conclusion to this particular situation, but it might not be that easy when it's all said and done either. Jake, you hinted at it earlier. The NFLPA and Watson might not be so quiet anymore. If they were to sue, what would that look like? Yeah, well, so we can go off what's happened in the past. And so you would expect the NFLPA to file a lawsuit uh, in, in out of New York, which is where these cases have, have stemmed from in the past. We don't know what on what grounds the NFLPA is going to sue. Because again, if you read the letter of the law in the CBA, this process has worked out basically as it was intended to. But I, I, I think that the NFLPA could, you know, look at a couple of factors. Again, treatment of owners versus players. Uh, Sue Robinson mentioned in her report that, you know, you're basically trying to, uh, you know, retroactively set a policy that's not very clear at the outset. And that's not fair to the players. That The NFLPA uh, could take a look at that as well. So we don't know what the strategy is going to be, but uh, essentially, if they go to court, we're going to hear a lot from the NFLPA at that point going forward, both in terms of uh, the legal route and I think in the court of public opinion as well. Jake, have we seen players in the past sue the league in response to a suspension? Yeah, we have. So the, the two cases that are most notable, Tom Brady, which of course was deflate gate, uh, and then Ezekiel Elliott running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you know, he was accused of, of domestic violence. Uh, you know, he sought a temporary restraining order to get back on the field. But ultimately, in both cases, it went to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And in both cases, the, the court sided with the NFL, which now establishes a precedent that uh, it's going to be very tough for the NFLPA to beat uh, because the, the court system has already declared that, you know, you guys went through this before. We told you what we thought. Uh, you guys have a CBA that you're following that process. Why are you coming to us with this for? Uh, it's going to be very difficult, I think, for the NFLPA to win this argument through the court system at the end of the day. And Jake, in the backdrop of all of this, the Cleveland Browns are at training camp, preparing for a season that begins in just about a month. And we saw Watson getting first team reps in practice last week. So what has head coach Kevin Stefanski said about how this will affect their quarterback room? Yeah, Emily. So to this point, Watson has gotten the overwhelming majority of the first team reps in practice. Jacoby Brissett, their backup quarterback who they signed to start for Watson if he was suspended, has continued to get the second team reps. And I've asked Kevin Stavansky 
multiple times, you know, could your plan change? Is your plan changing? What does the appeal mean? And basically, he won't be specific. All he'll say is that we have a plan. We feel good about our plan. But that plan has to be pretty complicated at this point because they, they've got to get Jacoby Brissett at some point ready to play. The season is not that far away. And at the same time, Deshaun Watson has not played since the 2020 season. So they're trying to get him ready to play as well, shake the rust off. So they're in a, a difficult situation right now. And I don't know that they're going to do anything differently until they have some clarity from Peter Harvey about which direction this is going. So could we see Watson in a preseason game? We very well could. But keep in mind, Emily, once Peter Harvey makes a decision, and let's say he says, Deshaun Watson, you are out for the season, you're gone, Deshaun Watson has to leave the team. He cannot stay with the team through training camp. He can't play in the preseason games. If Peter Harvey says, Deshaun Watson, you're suspended 12 games, then Watson can continue to practice with the team. He can play in the preseason games. And remember, under the, under the CBA, he can come back during the second half of the suspension to ramp up in preparation for his return. If it's a 12-game suspension, that would be week seven. So Deshaun Watson would be around a lot before he even got back on the playing field. So, Jake, you're at the facility every day. And as you said, Deshaun Watson has been at practice. What does that look like? What's his demeanor like? If you were at Brown's practice and you didn't know any of this was going on, you wouldn't know by the practice itself. It is business as usual out there. Uh, Deshaun Watson, his demeanor looks like it would if none of this was going on. As I mentioned, he's getting all the first team reps. After practice, he gets mobbed for autographs by Browns fans. It really is kind of a surreal scene in the sense that off the field, it, all of this has enveloped the organization. But when they're actually on the practice field, you really would not know it was going on. And as you report on this team, you're talking to teammates, coaches, sources in the organization every day. What have they been saying as the situation has changed? Well, you definitely detect a sense of weariness. Like, everybody is ready for this to be over. It, it really has been a saga since the moment the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson. I think a lot of people in the organization thought that when they first traded for Watson, you know, they were going to take some heat initially. Eventually, it would die away. Maybe it would become a big story again once the suspension were announced. He'd be gone four to six games. He would be back, and he would be throwing touchdowns again, and the Browns would be really good and right in the thick of the AFC playoff picture. And it just hasn't gone that way. This has been a huge news story on a week-to-week -week basis, really since the Browns traded for him. You know, we had additional information come out. Uh, the New York Times investigation, we had additional lawsuits. And then you had Robinson's report, which I think was far more withering than anybody within the organization would have predicted at the time of the trade. So you just, even from players, you can tell they are ready for this to be done because it is, whether they say it or not, it's a huge distraction. It's almost cast a pall over this team in training camp. And, you know, this was a team that really thought like it had a chance to be a Super Bowl contender. And who knows what might happen without Deshaun Watson. But without Deshaun Watson, it's going to be really difficult for this team to keep the same aspirations that it had just a couple of weeks ago heading into training camp. Do you think the Browns today would sign Deshaun Watson if they knew all of this was going to come? You know, I actually think they would because this really comes down to a, 
a decision by one person, right? We think of the Browns as being this organization with a bunch of people, you know, that have their opinions. And, you know, some people were for this trade before they made it. Some people might've been against it. Some people might've been against it after they made the trade. But at the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is owner Jimmy Haslam. And I've not gotten the sense at any point that he regrets the move that they've made. Because I think the way they looked at it was, well, worst case scenario, maybe we don't have him for the 2022 season, but we're still going to have him for four more seasons after. Actually, five more because his contract will toll uh, if he's suspended for the entire season. In other words, the contract would not begin. The five-year contract would not begin until 2023. I do think that a lot of people might disagree within the organization. Like, was this really worth it? But at the end of the day, Jimmy Haslam runs the team. He made that call at the time. And I, I've got no indication that he has any regrets about the trade that they made. Jake Trotter, thank you so much for your reporting, for your insights, and for joining us again on this podcast. Thank you, Emily. I'm Emily Kaplan. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.